Hello and welcome to Diverse and Inclusive Leaders. This is the show where I speak with the most inspirational and thought-provoking leaders and unearth their unique stories of diversity and inclusion to help inspire educate and motivate others to make the world a better place. Today, I am delighted to be joined by an exceptionally inspirational individual. Her name is Shireen Cowrie-Pack, and as well as being Co-op's Chief Finance Officer, she's also Chief Executive at Co-op Life Services that includes major insurance provider, Co-op Insurance, Co-op Legal Services, the UK's largest provider of probate services, and Co-op Funeral Care the UK's largest funeral care provider. She's navigated the businesses through the challenges of COVID in recent times, whilst also having an exceptional career spanning number of decades of working with global, well-known household name brands, Lloyd's Insurance, IBM, McDonald's, and also has a number of portfolio NED roles in addition. She's been a fierce advocate for diversity and inclusion and can't wait to dive deep today. Welcome to the show, Shireen. Hi, Layla. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for being here. I know it's taken some while to pin you down because you're such a busy, busy lady. Um, but tell, tell me a little bit about um, how you came to be where you are today. For those of our listeners who perhaps don't know you as well as I do. How far back do you want me to go? Well, I'd love for you to, to share all that you're comfortable with uh, around yep. your personal story because, you know, there's so many wonderful complexities and intersectionalities, not into your personal life, um, you know, going back to kind of even early 90s and, and, and where your name derives from, but also the the stepped approach to a, a lot of the linear roles that you've you've taken on clearly it didn't happen overnight but was there was there thought behind uh where you are right now and clearly a huge amount of ambition uh, i know our listeners would love to hear yeah. no problem um so if i thank you layla if i start from the beginning then um you know my my father uh passed away this earlier this year, um, sadly, uh, but he was Palestinian. And as my kids go into their nativity uh, plays, I tell them that their grandfather, their Jiddu, was also born in Bethlehem, like Jesus was. Um, and, uh, and my mother is Turkish. Uh, so my father was in the oil business, which meant that they followed the oil and the gas uh, wherever, wherever um, you know, it was. So by the time I was 12, we lived on every continent except for Antarctica. I switched schools regularly, switched um, countries, languages, and had a very kind of mixed up, but very multicultural uh, growing up. I ended up finishing high school uh, when we were living in Australia and then went to university uh, in, in Australia as well. Uh, while I was there, um, I met my ex-husband who was uh, in the Marine Corps, was, uh, was American, and then I moved to, to America. So I had a degree in accounting and economics and then started a, a career in finance. Um, we lived in some very small and interesting places like Dodge City, Kansas. Um, and I, I had this shiny 
new accounting degree, um, but nowhere to put it. There were two jobs available at the time. I had the option of being a PA or of working in a meatpacking plant and killing cows. Um, so I took the PA option and that was really the first, you know, uh, job with, with my degree. But then we ended up moving to some bigger cities. I became a qualified accountant and then eventually started working for McDonald's. Um, what the role that I did at McDonald's was twofold. Um, I eventually had 160 restaurants that I was responsible for. I did five days a month on the finance piece and the rest of the month working with the store managers to make those restaurants profitable. So essentially an internal consulting and COO type role, which I absolutely loved. And while I was doing that, I studied for my MBA at night um, and was literally either working or studying almost 24 hours a day. Uh, and then when I got my MBA, I decided to move to IBM. Um, and, you know, that I, it was on the cusp of the dot-com boom. I was very interested in technology. I was very interested in consulting and operations. And I ended up spending nine years at IBM, both in the US and in the UK. So a lot of the work that I did was operational. It was leading mergers and acquisitions, um, and, uh, you know, uh, big, big changes, working with CEOs to restructure their organizations. Um, we, you and I talk about intersectionality quite a lot. Um, so, you know, uh, my ethnicity, my background in the middle of working for IBM, um, I got divorced and and then three years later decided to uh, to get married to my husband, who is from Pakistan um, originally, but born and raised in, in the UK. And I had a really interesting experience actually, because I was debating whether to stay with IBM or to get another role uh, when I moved to the UK. And my previous last name sounded very American. And I found that when I sent CVs out to the UK, with that last name, I was getting responses back really frequently and responses for interviews and would love to meet you. And then I got married and I kept my maiden name, Corey, which is my Palestinian father's name, a little hyphen and a three letter last name, which is my husband's last name. Same CV, different last name and sent that out into the UK. And from that CV, I got zero responses. It went from a wonderful, you know, we'd love to meet you to absolutely zero. And that was quite a quite a shock for me and, and made me realize, goodness, how can you have such a big change in response just on the basis of a name? Um, eventually, I did stay with IBM and, you know, built a career uh, doing lots of these big programs. But I had spent nine years traveling. I was on a plane every single week or on a train every week. And during that time as well, you and I have spoken about this separately we had a lot of challenges around, um, I, I, I had a miscarriage, I was um, you know, going through uh, lots of fertility treatment and being on a plane when you're trying to get back to a clinic and all of these sorts of things was, was quite difficult. Um, I got a call out of the blue uh, from uh, an insurance organization that was in the Lloyd's market and they wanted someone who was really good at operations, at change and at technology 
technology, but they wanted someone who had no insurance experience whatsoever to be able to challenge what they did. So I made a switch um, and then went purely out of consulting into operations and worked at that organization for seven years and really enjoyed it. Now, during that time, again, more IVF. Um, on our third IVF, I got pregnant. Um, and then uh, when I was six months pregnant, sadly, um, we lost our, our daughter shortly after birth, uh, which was, you can imagine, really devastating. Um, but, you know, it, it I, I had a great employer at that time. They were very sympathetic and very kind about it and gave me the time that I that I needed um, to, 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 to think about what I do next, but also to continue to do a good job for them. So after seven years there, I moved into Lloyd's uh, and I did a dual job at Lloyd's. Uh, I was COO of Lloyd's London. And for any of your listeners that don't know, that is the largest specialty insurance market in the world. Um, covers 200 countries and uh, you know a very wide range of business. But I also had a second job in that the insurance market, which included Lloyd's, but also the, the brokers that serve Lloyd's and the, and the other insurers that compete with Lloyd's and Lloyd's competitors, they asked me to lead the digitization of that global market as well. So I, I did a, a, a dual role at that time and really enjoyed it, Layla, because, uh, you know, it was massive change. It was global. We actually landed it successfully. It was an immense collaborative effort. And in the middle of that, um, we had given up on me ever being able to get pregnant. That was just not for me. Um, but we did have embryos in the freezer. And luckily, we found a wonderful surrogate uh, who, on her fourth attempt, managed to carry our, um, our twin girls for us. So halfway through this massive transformation program, I didn't tell anyone until she was 20, 22 weeks gone because of our previous experience, uh, we had twin girls. And, you know, it was a, it was a fantastic, um, you know, big surprise for us. Uh, we'd been married 16 years by the time they they came along, but a real jolt to, to, to my working life um, as well. So uh, I, again, I was so lucky to have an amazing boss uh, at, at the time who was so encouraging and really helped me to find the balance between motherhood and doing what was a very demanding executive job at the time as well. So I took maternity leave uh, for 11 weeks, uh, but it was a modified maternity leave in that, um, you know, Layla, one, one thing that my team was so wonderful about was I went to a meeting and before the, the girls were due and they had behind my back worked on a document that they called TOFT, Time Off for Twins. They took everything that I was responsible for, split it up between them, took over what they could take over, and then left me with the stuff that only I could do. So during those 11 weeks of, of maternity leave, um, I did calls. I stripped out everything that was extraneous. And, um, you know, they, the girls had to be fed every three or four hours. So I did every single feed 
I did all the nappy changes, I put them to bed, and then I would do back to back 15 minute calls until it was time to do the next feed again. So balancing the motherhood that I'd longed for for so long with keeping up with a job with the bits that I couldn't really hand over. And luckily, through Lloyd's, um, they allowed me to balance out that flexibility and, you know, again, we, we always talk about intersectionality, but being a woman, being a woman who's an ethnic minority, then being a parent on top of it all, you're, you're, you're managing and you're balancing all of those things. And, you know, I, it, that, that's, so, so that's, that, that was my Lloyd's experience, my early baby experience. And then eventually I came over to the co-op. Um, while I'd been COO for quite some time, I, as I mentioned, I was a qualified accountant. I'd been on a number of boards. I'd chaired audit committees. So they, they asked me to be the CFO. And the role at the C, uh, as CFO was a bit wider. So there were quite a lot of operational components to it as well, including including risk and audit and technology and transformation. And I did that for a year. And then um, I was asked to take on the CFO role and the CEO of Life Services as well. So I, I love the commercial bit of what I do. I love running businesses. I love digitizing businesses. So it's been a wonderful balance for me as well, being able to do the CFO role, which I didn't know that I would love, but I do, um, with running commercial entities as well. And that brings you right up to date on my career and personal life. Shereen, wow. Where on earth do I start? Um, thank you so much for sharing not only a huge part of your personal life but also the journey what an absolutely epic journey that is um, and I've got to say first and foremost I, I love the fact that I know that we're talking you know we've talked many many a time about intersectionality um, but that it that is absolutely it epitomizes that in 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 the story that you've just told around your career and your personal life um, you know you touched on ethnicity gender we've talked about you know, parenthood and also what that means. You know, we talk about, you know, ethnicity, gender, you know, our, our culture, our, our background, our, um, you know, our life experiences ultimately, which for you have been all over the globe, yet actually you dive deep into each of those facets and there's already diversities within diversities within further diversities and um you know it's layer upon layer of, of complexities but each individual and terribly exciting in their own right um i have to touch on on the parenthood piece here because uh, i know we've discussed ivf previously of um you know which is a subject obviously very close to my heart and, and embarking on that journey now which you know i'm going to be coming to you asking for advice because you've got these two absolutely gorgeous gorgeous beautiful uh two uh two twins who um you know clearly are are going to be doing great things in the world i'm sure with with a mother and a father like yourself and your husband 
But what's really interesting is you talked about, you know, this, I saw your eyes light up when you were talking about the COO and the operational roles and also how that's ultimately then factored into to all aspects of your life. I bet those those skills came in incredibly handy when uh, when raising the family, when organising what has been, you know, huge rare complexities with, with the transformational business schools audit committee on one hand and the twins on the other. I mean, that's just... Incredible, absolutely incredible. I'd love to dip back, if I may, into some of the early pieces that you mentioned around the name, because that fascinates me. And I think there's probably many who are listening thinking, oh, my goodness, I, you know, this resonates, that these are experiences that I have had. You know, how did you bridge some of these challenges? Because you're clearly such an incredibly dynamic individual and and very tenacious. I think that is a trait that that many of those with, with, with you know, different backgrounds have and hold and a real skill. Actually, it's a real skill. Being tenacious, being resilient is not something that everyone has because it takes a lot, a lot to bounce back um, time and time again. But how did you make it through that? You know, your observations, how did that make you feel some of the pieces around names? Because this is something that is so real. And unless we've experienced it ourselves, it's sometimes difficult to actually put into context or it's something that goes unnoticed. Um, look, Layla, you're you're much more of an expert on this than than me. I can tell you how I've how I've dealt with it, and you, you and I know each other well enough that you know you know I deal with it head on. I don't I don't believe in trying to sugarcoat it. If I tell you another story, uh, when I was at Lloyd's, um, I was invited to an insurance dinner by one of our CEOs. And I sat across from, from a man and, you know, the wine was flowing. I don't drink, not for any kind of moral or religious reason, but because I just don't like the taste. But this man was drinking quite a lot of wine. And towards the end of the dinner, he looked at my name and he said, Corey, Corey, does that mean that, are you from the Lebanon? Because I've spent time in the Lebanon. And, and I said, well, you know, my father's Palestinian but grew up in Beirut after all this stuff happened in in Palestine. And he said, oh, and in a loud voice, you Arabs, you're a lazy, shifty bunch, aren't you? It And if I tell you, the entire table just fell silent. And, you know, and and the, the person who had invited to me to this looked absolutely mortified. And you have a minute to think about what you do. Do you retreat into your shell? Do you act professional or do you say something? I said something. And, you know, I said, I'd rather be an Arab than a racist drunk. You take your pick. Um, And I just left it at that. He didn't say anything else. Um, and I at least felt like I'm glad I said something back to him because there was no way I was going to start a conversation about, you know, well, Arabs aren't that way and let's talk about it further. I didn't want to change his mind. I just wanted to shut him down. Um, so, you know, the, there, there are times where people make assumptions about you based on your name or where you're from or how you look. I think each circumstance is, is different and it is important to, you know, talk to people, bring people with you. I work a lot with um, 
individuals at work, with my friends, you know, you hear about these things that happen where people make assumptions about you based on, you know, your ethnicity, based on your name, based on your gender, based on your uh, disability, based on whether you're a parent or not. Do you know, uh, if I tell you another story, Layla, you know, um, for, for many years, because we had all of these uh, issues around fertility and IVF, People knew that we were undergoing treatment, but when I gave up on it and we decided to go to surrogacy, I just stopped talking about it. And people would say stuff like, well, you know, Shireen, you don't have children because you've decided to focus on your career. And, you know, they, they would make these assumptions about how I was this career woman. They didn't know that our surrogate had just miscarried twins, you know, a few weeks ago, that we were going through all of this because I stopped talking about it. I didn't want everyone to keep asking me how I was. I, I, I was over it. It, it. After 15 years, you do get over it um, and, and wanting to tell everybody. Then I had my babies. Right. And I was the exact same person. And then I found the narrative changing to, oh, Shireen, you're a mother now. And, you know, I'm sure you miss your babies a lot. And, you know, isn't it, isn't it hard having a career like yours while you've got twin babies at home? And I just thought, goodness, you know, people projecting these things based on their own assumptions. And I am exactly the same person. I didn't have the babies myself, so I was in exactly the same clothes exactly the same high heels, doing exactly the same job. And actually my job had grown over that time because, you know, um, you do become very efficient when you are a working parent and you learn to, to organize yourself better. I had, a, I had a bigger job. I was the same person, but the narrative changed. And it's just interesting to see how that shifts and then how you navigate your way through it. Um, I received quite a lot of advice um, because I did work in an industry that, you know, was quite male dominated. A lot of well-meaning women would say to me, look, when you're at work now, do not mention the children. Do not have a picture of your children on your desk because people will think that you're more focused on them than your job. And I decided to go in a different direction. I decided to talk about my children. I decided to talk about the challenges of, uh, you know, being there for the first time they took their first step, plus being there at a board meeting and making sure that you delivered on your, your role and the importance of flexibility. And Lloyd's was wonderful in that they allowed me to be a guinea pig around flexible working. And we instituted new policies uh, that helped all parents, male, female, you know, gay parents who had um, potentially gone through surrogacy like myself to implement policies so that everyone could have that flexible working and that we could um, we could use that experience uh, for for the benefit of the wider um, group of people that that we worked with. Picking up on your call out of the racist drunk, absolute hats off to you for that. Um, and that is a great example. Uh, I must say, first and foremost, for all to, to be listening to, difficult as it may be, in particular in a group setting, uh, to stand up for yourself. But I know how 
how you, how Steve, how the wider co-op feel ultimately about standing up and being anti-racist so incredibly, critically important for us all to do because that's something that is just absolutely should never happen and is completely intolerable uh, now around um the parenthood piece i just it makes my heart flutter every time you talk about the the ivf um in particular because we've shared our ivf stories and you know we're embarking on that journey right now and um you know what strikes me is that you know everyone whether it's well-meaning you know whether it is you know just impartial advice wants to give that advice don't don't they you know as to, to what is is right or wrong but having real models and I say real models opposed to role models here who are talking about this who are really normalizing it is the only way that we are ultimately going to to move forward through this um, and it still strikes me because with you know there's a number of different aspects of parenthood and caring responsibilities there that you've mentioned is that there is the proactivity for certain individuals who do not want to have children and that again is is another is another factor um you know does that mean um you know in some instances that they're less of an individual absolutely not we are all born with life choices and we all have different paths to tread but i just i find it so inspiring that, that you've done both with the operational skills absolutely um you know laser-like efficiency on all of these different areas but it doesn't mean that almost it feels like that there's almost like a conversation around loss of self when becoming a parent and I, i've always struggled with that situation the how do you balance it's a common question that we hear all the time but um you know is it possible think, to have it all it's just in different times um i think i think it's it, it, it's possible to have to do your best right i i don't think you can have it all in any instance there's no such thing as as perfection the the thing that um that i think if you if you want to talk about that topic you know when when i when i made the choice to talk openly about balancing parenthood with work i would do that in mixed settings and the thing that i really found quite remarkable was the number of men who spoke to me about it and who said I would have loved to have had more time with my children, but I was told when my wife had a child, you know, do you want your two weeks of paternity leave or do you want your career? It was unheard of and in my time for, for a man to be able to go and spend. So it was really important for me when I was speaking about this, when I was an executive in an organization that was genuinely um, inclusive, to be able to apply that flexibility, whether you are a parent of any gender and however your children came about, whether they were adopted or, or uh, uh, through surrogacy, or you had them yourself, however it was that parents could be parents. And the ultimate goal there is not only to have happy, um, you know, um, colleagues in your organization that can bring them their whole selves to work and who can feel fulfilled at work and at home, but it promotes equality. It doesn't put the entire burden of parenthood on the mother. It helps the father to be able to do what he also wants to do and to spend time with his children. My, my husband took four months of um, parental leave. 
he was the first person in his organization, first man in his organization to do it. Uh, they didn't have an HR policy for it at the time. Um, you know, so we, he had thought initially he might be a stay-at-home dad. After four months, um, he mentioned he was going back to work and there was just a puff of smoke and the door slamming. <laughs> Because four months with baby twins is incredibly hard work. But he gave it a good go, Layla. So. I love that you brought that up because that is, I mean, it's absolutely, it's the, it's the equity equaling the equality ultimately, isn't it? You know, if our expectations are for things to change, we've got to be part of that change that we ultimately want to see. And that is, it's a challenging thing to go against the grain. I had the very conversation with my, with my own husband uh, the other day. And, um, you know, without calling anything out here, the difference between the maternity leave versus the paternity leave was significant. But then even if there is also that change, it then is about normalizing that in terms of the culture. Um, you know, there's one thing then having the policy, which is fantastic, and that absolutely needs to be there clearly in black and white, that there is um, equality and we're, we're understanding that there are very different types of parenthood and that should be split across the both former stereotypes, but actually also that culturally this needs to be okay. Um, you know, you mentioned that, you know, this, this choice, why should that be a choice, career or home life? I mean, my goodness, um, it, it seems and, so and, terribly and archaic when we say it out loud. Exactly, exactly. And how do you get the most out of your, your, your colleagues in your organization? But also if you choose not to have children or you've already raised your children, should you not also be able to pursue what's important in your life? So when, when we implemented this, we did it across everyone. You know, um, one of, one of the, the people that worked in my team really wanted to go and teach Latin in, in a school um, that was in an underprivileged area. You know, while some people may have caring responsibilities for parents or children or whatever, this person wanted to pursue a passion elsewhere. Another person went off and became a teacher for a, a day or two a week. Another person was writing a novel. You know, so you can really, really broaden this out and, and enable people to really be who they are in a truly inclusive uh, environment and then get the best out of everybody and have them be genuinely fulfilled. It also applies later to loss as well. You may know um, that at the co-op, uh, in association with the Miscarriage Association, uh, we've implemented a, a pregnancy loss program uh, as well uh, in order to, first of all, normalize the conversation because, you know, it does, it does happen to people, especially in early stages um, of pregnancy, but also to enable men to be able to take the time off as well and not have their, their partner staying at home by themselves without the appropriate support. So our, our policy is the, an equal policy, whether it's for fathers or mothers um, that, that work in our organization. If they have a loss, they get the same level of support and, and the same, um, and, and exactly the, the same ability to be able to have those conversations and not have them be hidden. I think that's exceptional. And that is exactly how we are going to eventually level the playing field. Um, it is policies in place, a great example for others to be listening to here. Now, conscious of, of, of timing, um, I would love 
for us to to touch upon the RISE networks. I know you're terribly proud of the work of the colleague networks, um, the employee resource groups around support for ethnic minorities and also allies across the business. This is a conversation that we all can be having and we can see this real driving trend for employee resource groups, sometimes business resource groups or staff networks really being seen as a pivotal part of business strategy. So would be brilliant to hear a little a little about that before we before we wrap. Um, so our, our RISE network is chaired by Ru uh, Mohammed, who, um, you know, she brings together a wonderful group of people who do focus on ethnic diversity. And as you said, we have a very wide um, ally group as well. And, you know, they, they do such important work in terms of educating people. So, uh, you know, we had Black History Month, as you would expect. Uh, we celebrated Bali, we're going to be celebrating Ramadan. Um, we've had Islamophobia Awareness Month, which is November, where they're bringing a focus to this. Um, we've celebrated Jewish holidays, Christmas, you know, so it is incredibly inclusive and it is about recognizing individuals and their, their differences. One thing that I love that they do is they ask people to talk about their families and what they do and really start bringing conversations conversations out that people people can relate to. They've also worked with us uh, to um, to develop our diversity and inclusion commitments. That's recently uh, been published along with our achievements in the first year. And for anyone that's interested, that's at www.coop, so that's coop.co.uk uh, forward slash diversity hyphen and hyphen inclusion. So you can see that we've got 23 very clear commitments that we've been working on that are central to our strategy. And I'm very proud that our RISE network has driven us um, in, in developing those, but is also working with us to ensure that we um, that we that that we deliver on what we've committed to. And as the co-op, you know, for anyone that doesn't know, we have a very wide membership base of around four Four and a half uh, million members, and we have pioneers. We have around uh, you know a, a thousand pioneers that are in all of our communities that reach out to communities and um, work with them through the co-op and ensure that our money goes to the right places, uh, etc. And we have had a demand from our communities asking to learn more about things like Diwali. Um, so we've had an education process out as well in relation to our commitments and some of those celebrations. We're putting it into commercial practice as well, where we're offering different choices in some of our convenience stores. So the RISE Network is critical, as are all, all of our other um, uh, inclusion networks, in ensuring that we maintain our focus on this and that we walk the talk when we say that we're inclusive, we're anti-racist, and we're making progress uh, on these issues. Thank you ever so much. Um, I'm dying to ask these two lightning round questions because I asked them to many execs and because it is you, I'm so dying to hear the answers, not to put you too much on the spot. I'm going to give you literally 20, 30 seconds to answer each. Um, what would you say is your secret to success or is there one? 
Um, look, I, I, I thought about this. I think I've got three things. Um, one is to do what really is right for the organization and for my, um, for, for the people within it. I think if you do that, you can take quite a lot of risk and, and challenge yourself because people will know that you're doing it, that it's coming from the right place. Um, I think it's important to be oneself as well. So I've always been, as I said, very open about who I am and that I am a person as well as, as the person who does uh, the job. And also to just make sure that I'm always thinking about other things, exploring new opportunities, constantly learning and being able to progress uh, as a result. Remarkable. And finally, if you could go back in time and speak to the young Shireen, around about the time when you're taking perhaps the PA role as opposed to going off to the meat factory, what advice would you give to your younger self? I, I think I would probably tell myself to be more patient. There, there have been times in my career where I have thought I'm really wasting my time here. Not as a PA, actually, because I learned a lot in that, in that role and I, and I really enjoyed it. But I just felt things weren't moving fast enough. And even when you're in that type of situation, you're always learning something, even if it's the value of patience. And then you use that to help you get to the next thing. So I would just say, be a bit more patient because life is long, hopefully, um, and, and so is your career. Shereen, thank you so much. I, I was thinking as you were talking, I have agreed with everything that you said. I really need to find something that I disagree with you on because I'm nodding profusely at everything that you're saying, but it just, it resonates so much personally with me. And I know that it will with many people who are going to be listening to this podcast afterwards. Some of the key things that have really stood out to me um, are this real interesting dynamic and juxtaposition between what is home and also career and the fact that that shouldn't be a choice. You've so marvelously practiced exactly what you've preached, have truly brought your authentic self to the table. And we hear a lot of talk these days around authenticity and being your true self, but you live it, you breathe it, you sleep it and are truly an inspiration in really being who you are, but also sending the lift and the power back down to actually empower and to inspire others. The territories we've covered today have just been phenomenal, but the intersectionality, which is absolutely something that we're talking about more and more, um, is such a critical subject and one in which everyone should be able to relate to because there's many different multifaceted areas, not only to our personalities, to our home lives, but also to what we do in work. And as you so articulately put it, it is also the person behind the person that does the job at the same time. So really raising awareness in challenging uh, subject matter to speak about, be it miscarriage, uh, be it discussing inequalities in terms of paternity leave and other things, making sure that we have the policies, the processes, the procedures in place, that we're living and walking um, what we also talk. But most importantly, what I have completely adored is the heart, the mind, the emotion behind all of this, that actually the leaders of the future really need to be leaders that 
are inspiring and motivating with their hearts and their minds, as well as everything else. That emotional intelligence piece is something that we need so much. We need it desperately in the modern world that we live in now, in particular, as we move into such more of a hybrid and a flexible working environment. And so thank you uh, very much for sharing. Um, It has just been a joy to have you here. For all that are listening, I've been listening to Shireen Khoury-Hack of the co-op. Um, we will make sure we put all of the salient learning points of which there's been many. Uh, so do not worry if you're, you're thinking, oh my goodness, I didn't manage to write everything down. You can re-listen. You can check us out on Apple Podcasts. You can check us out on the Dial Network app on the App Store. You can also visit uh, Shireen's profile, which we will put into the show notes at the end of the show. She's on Twitter, SK uh, Curry Hack, uh, and also uh, some of the notes there around co-op.co.uk forward slash diversity dash and dash inclusion. Thanks so much, Shireen. Thank you, Layla. It's been a real pleasure. Take care. Take care. My name is Layla McKenzie Dallas, and I'm the founder and CEO of Dial Global. You've been listening to Shreen Carryhack of the co op. Visit us at dialglobal.org forward slash podcast, and we'll see you again very soon.